Before we jump into today's message, I want to do a teaser for a series that's going to begin next week. And I want to begin by saying this is one that God has laid on my heart for a long time. And I've been trying to figure out a way to get to it and what does he want me to say during it and what do we teach with it. And so this is going to be a deep dive into the letter that we have in our New Testaments called First Peter. And what I'm so passionate about, about this series, is it, it's going to talk about how do we live in this current culture. In fact, it's going to be about how do you find your faith while living in the culture that we live in. And as I look out across culture, I become aware of some very staggering things. And you've heard me say before, but there is a group that now shows up on all the polls and the surveys that is the fastest growing group when it comes to religion, and they're called the nuns. That doesn't mean people, sisters in a convent. It's nuns, N-O-N-E, meaning none, as in no religious affiliation. And it is a culture, we live in an environment now that is very easy to get swept away with the current of culture and go through a process of what it, what's become known as deconstructing your faith, which means you're taking your faith apart. Now, it is always good, and we're going to see that, that it's good to question your faith. But what is occurring in our culture right now is that people are taking apart their faith and nothing's being built back in place. And so we're going to use this guiding letter, Scripture, of 1 Peter to guide us on how to build not just a worldview, but a Jesus worldview. And so I really want to encourage you to be a part of this. And I'll give you a little hint. The younger that you are, the more this is going to matter to you, I promise. Because you're going to live in this culture longer than the rest of us. And so the challenge is for you. Now, if you're older and you're a little closer to seeing the light at the end of the tunnel, so to speak, it's going to matter to you because... You have grandkids or nephews or nieces or somebody that you know and care about that's going to be experiencing this and they're going to be questioning their faith and how do you live out in a world where there's so many different voices that are screaming. So I'm going to encourage you to be here next week. We're going to provide our scripture journals. Many of you have seen us do this before. We're going to have scripture journals next week available. This is the, the scriptures of First Peter and we'll, we'll put our logo on in the front of it, but we're going to make these available. They're going to be out there in the front. I want you to pick one up. We're going to have some kind of a little basket about, you can toss in three or four dollars if you want to help cover the cost. If you want to toss in a little bit more than that, know that covers the cost for somebody else. But don't let the money stop you from picking one up, okay? I want every person to have one. Our students already have their scripture Bible, so we want everybody else to participate in this way. So I want you to have one. Husbands, wives, each get your own, um, so that way that you can be taking your notes, and there's going to be some stuff that we're going to be providing throughout the week with this series. So I, I want you to be praying about this. If you want to go ahead and read First Peter, you can. Now, don't spoil it for anybody else, if you know that. 
but go ahead. That would be great preparation. It's not a long letter, but it's a letter that's going to have great impact. And so be praying for that. If you would, um, let's go to God right now as we jump into today's message. Heavenly Father, I pray that you would once again open your scripture to us here. Let us hear the words of Jesus, and may we be changed by them. It's the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. Oftentimes, we'll try to live our life by cliches, right? Everybody's got a cliche for something. Maybe you've heard some of these. These are some old classics. A bird in the hand is worth two in the bush. You know, a stitch in time saves nine, you know. The, the idea is that there's a little bit of wisdom there. There's a phrase there that carries a lot of meaning. We've got a phrase that we use often, and I've heard it used in many ways, and it's, hey, go the extra mile. Go the extra mile. And if you stop and think about it, the way I hear it used more often now, it's not used the way that it was originally intended. Now, a perfectly good way to use it, but not the way it's intended is, you'll hear it when somebody works extra hard at something. You know, we're starting up football season again, and so a coach could easily say, hey guys, I want you to go the extra mile every single practice. That means work harder at it. Put forth your best, best um, uh, effort. Or maybe you're in a project at work, and somebody comments, oh, she really went the extra mile in this project. It means you worked hard, you, you, you did your best at it. And that's great and fine. That's just not the way it was originally given to us. Now, many of you may be aware, but some of you may not, this phrase actually comes from Scripture, from the Bible. This is where we get it. And actually, not just from Scripture, but it comes from Jesus Himself. So, you want to give an author to this cliche, it comes from Jesus, and it's found in Matthew chapter 5. And so if you have your Bible or you want to open to our westernhills.church app, we'll have the scriptures there. But Matthew chapter 5, is where we're going to spend our time they, just on a brief little section. And I want to remind us once again, because Matthew 5 is where we've been for these last few sermons, and it is a sermon given by Jesus. And I'm happy to preach this stuff. Jesus gathered all of his followers and all of those that were curious about him and all of those that were threatened by him. He's given this large gathering, an outdoor, perhaps even impromptu sermon. But this sermon can be found in Matthew 5, 6, and 7. And what I've said in the last couple sermons is that this is Jesus' strategy for living out the beautiful life. This is how you live as one who follows Jesus. Now what's fascinating is Jesus doesn't go into some of the things that we think are most important. Jesus doesn't say God takes attendance. What you need to do is make sure that your attendance is perfect. Now, being a part of a church is very important. We're going to talk about that in this coming series. But he says there's a way that you live, and it's not simply a list of things that you don't do. When I was growing up, I grew up in a church, and I'm very grateful that my parents and, um, brought me to church, and that's where I first came to faith. But it was, 
I was about 10th grade before I realized that what my faith was, my relationship with God, I thought at that point it was all about the things I didn't do. And so I could look at my peers and they were involved in things that I know I shouldn't do. But I was a Christian, so I didn't do stuff. I didn't drink certain things. I didn't smoke certain things. I didn't use certain words. I was a good kid, and so I didn't do. My faith was defined by a didn't do. Maybe that's some of your experiences. But God got a hold of me around 10th grade, and through some mission trips and ministry projects, I realized there's a whole part of my faith that God calls us into and says, no, here's how you live life, and it's not simply avoid a certain list of things. But it's a command, it's an invitation to live life a certain way. That's what you have in Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7. So I want to look at just a little portion of that today. And if you'll start, we're going to start in verse 38. This is still near the beginning of the sermon, and he's already gotten past his introduction where he said, here's the blessed life. Here's the way you live a beautiful life. And maybe you're familiar with this as the Beatitudes. And he goes through a list and he starts describing, and everything else out of that is commentary on how to live that blessed life. It's instructions. It's a, it's, he's just teaching. Here's how you live. And he gets down into some very nitty-gritty stuff. It's easy to often think that Jesus sort of floated above the world and he's got some nice sayings and it's good for you to reflect on, but it doesn't really change your behavior on Monday morning. Well, that's not this sermon because Jesus is telling this group of people, the, the, those that are bought in, those that are kind of bought in, those that are curious, and even those that are against him. He says, if you want to be a part of the kingdom that I'm about to launch, the one that's where God's coming near, this is how you live. So he begins with these words. I'll read them this way. You have heard that it was said, eye for an eye and tooth for a tooth. But I tell you, do not resist an evil person. If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to them the other cheek also. Now, pause just a second. Understand the weight of these words. And if you've, if you've grown up in church, these are so familiar that they start to lose some of their punch because we just expect them now. Nobody in the crowd, when Jesus is first giving this sermon, expected him. Because what he does is says, you've heard it said. And he quotes to them their scriptures, the law, the commandments. And then he goes and adds something to it. He begins to put a spin on it, to which most people in that hillside should have gone, can he do that? Does he have that authority? It seems like he's, as we would say, he's changing the Bible. But what he's doing is he's pulling out and says, you've heard it said... And I'm going to define now for you what we've always said means. And listen, because he always ramps it up more. You've heard said, eye for an eye or tooth for a tooth, which is about getting revenge. I tell you, do not resist an evil person. If, anyone's, um, if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to them the other cheek also. Now, 
get past the familiarity of this and start listening to how crazy this sounds. If anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt, hand over your coat as well. If anyone forces you to go to one mile, go with them two miles. We'll come back to that. Give to the one who asks you and do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. You have heard that it was said, love your neighbor, hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you that you may be children of your Father in heaven. He causes his Son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? And not even the tax collectors are doing that. And if you greet only your own people, what are you doing more than others? Do not even the pagans do that? And he ends with this line. Be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. Now, <clears throat> sometimes in preaching, we say, I'm about to step on your toes. This is Jesus taking a steel-toed boot and marching across their toes. Because he is asking them to do something that if we were just to rationalize it, doesn't make any sense. He starts off with this strange command. If someone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to them the left. No, Jesus, I'll give them my left. That's what I should do. If someone takes your cloak, give them your shirt as well. Clearly, this is a dated illustration because it involves DVDs. But what this means is if he were to somehow take your DVD player, you run after him with the DVD collection so they have something to watch. This doesn't make sense, what Jesus is asking. And then he gets to this line. He says, if you, someone forces you to go one mile, go with them two. Now, that may not make a whole lot of sense, but it made complete sense to everyone in the crowd. It didn't make sense, but they understood what he was talking about. They were an occupied country. They were not under their own sovereignty. Rome was the ruling power. Rome had left a puppet government in place, but Rome was calling the shots. This is why People like the tax collectors all through the New Testament, they received such hatred because they represented the very people, the very entity, the government that any good Jewish person would have reviled. And one of the practices that Rome put in place so that they could equip their army, their armies, um, which were legendary, they would station their legions all around the world. And one of the practices that was very common was that if a Roman soldier came up to you and you were one of the people that were being oppressed, you were one of the people that were under their boot, so to speak, you were a native to the area, they could impress you into service to help carry their supplies. And so a Roman soldier could come up, they could meet the, the Jewish farmer in the field or in the marketplace, and they'd say, carry my pack. 
And they were obligated then by law to carry the pack for one mile. They had mile markers. In fact, we still have many of these mile markers that have been identified all across the Roman Empire. Many of them in the, the Middle East where Jesus walked and lived. And we can find these. And so, I mean, just like we have mile markers today, and this is before you had GPS and everything, they would have, they would go from one to the next, and they were required to walk that mile, carrying the weight of the pack, carrying the weight of the supplies, and then they got there, then they would set it down, and they had to walk a mile back and resume whatever they were doing when they got interrupted. Now, for a group of people that walked everywhere they went, the walking part wasn't the problem. It was the expectation, right? For the very entity that they could not stand could simply snap their fingers and say, come, take this burden and walk. You know that this represented, this almost became symbolic of everything they hated about Rome. And it just showed the oppression because they could be interrupted at any step of the day. And their day is now thrown off. And so Jesus telling this crowd that if he'd gotten up and wanted to have a real campaign rally, he could have thrown some easy red meat out there and said, and what's with this walking, the, the, the mile stuff? We need to throw that off. And he would have got rallied. And the army would have been ready to go to take on Rome. Instead, Jesus stands in front of them and says something so audacious as when someone forces you, forces, the words in the text, forces you to go one mile, what do you do? You go two. And he changes the game at that point. So I just want to give a couple of takeaways here that helps us live this out. And here's the first one. The extra mile is the call to serve others, especially those you don't like. That's what this whole area is. From 38 to 48, do you hear what it's saying? Somebody that attacks you, you don't attack back. Somebody that sues you, you don't sue back. When the world comes at you with some kind of violence, he's saying, you don't return in kind. This is an important principle if you ever had brothers, like I did. Because there's this idea that I had growing up, when he hit me, what what, what is only right for me to do? Hit him back, right? And then if mom got involved, what was my justification? Well, he hit me first, and I only hit him back as hard as he hit me, to which he claimed what? Now, you hit me harder. Is there any way possible for somebody to hit back just as hard as you got hit? This is the root of all of our conflict in the entire world throughout all history. It's a sense that I'm going to hit back, and I think whatever pressure, whatever force I use is justified, and I'm pretty convinced in my mind it's equal, and they're never convinced it's equal. And it escalates. 
And Jesus is calling a group of peasants that are saying, well, we're going to follow you. He says, you want to follow me? This is how you live. You not only serve the people that you like, that are easy to serve, you serve the ones you don't like. The call of the Christian is to serve all those around us, even the ones that disagree with us. It doesn't mean we give up the truth. It doesn't mean we affirm everything. It doesn't mean that we go along with everything, but we are called to respond differently, and the response that we have is we serve. When you're forced to go one mile, go two. Can you imagine how revolutionary this was? For any person that heard this sermon and took it to heart. And the next time they're out in the field and a Roman soldier came walking up to them. And they had done what they did a thousand times before. They pointed at it at the farmer and they say come carry my pack and the soldier is used to how this goes he knows he's going to get some mouthy person back at him he, he knows they're not going to be kind he, he, he knows it's the most frustrating thing but he wants and he needs somebody to carry his pack and so he knows that he's going to walk on the mile and they're going to be mumbling under their breath the whole time they're going to be praying a prayer of curses over him. You know, he's like, I've seen it all before, but that's the response I get. And then at the end, when they get to the mile marker, that person takes the home, throws it down and storms home. Can you imagine the first time that a Roman soldier came along and says, come carry my pack. And the farmer sets down his rake or shovel or whatever he's using and he comes running over there and straps it on and says, let's go. And instead of giving him some mouthy response, says, where are you from? Because remember, it's a soldier, and the soldier wasn't from there. He's been traveling around the world, and he doesn't have any way to call home. And so he's displaced also. Tell me about your family. Kids? Wife? What are your hobbies? And before you know it, the mile's up. It doesn't take that long to walk a mile. And now the Roman soldier says to him, says, thanks. Something he probably never said to a person before that he has to carry their pack. And then the response back, he gets, ah, let's keep going. Let's go one more. And he goes the extra mile. And then I'm convinced that what he left was a bewildered Roman soldier that went on down the road as he went back whistling to his shovel or rake or whatever and then went home to his family with a whole different kind of attitude. Guess who I met today? He's from Italy. And the conversation was all different. That's what Jesus is asking. Even the ones that you despise and you hate. This was brought really clear to me with a gentleman named Walter Everett. Walter Everett was a pastor, a reverend in the Methodist church. At the age of 60, his young son was killed 
in what basically amounted to a drunken fight one night in an apartment complex. And his murderer, a guy named Michael Carlucci, Michael Carlucci goes to trial and he's sentenced to five years for manslaughter. Walter Everett's angry that the life of his son would go for only five years. So he shows up at the sentencing day. And Michael Carlucci gets to make a statement. And he says, I'm so sorry. He says, I'm asking for forgiveness. Walter Everett was in no mood or position to give forgiveness on that day. But God began to work on him. And over a year later, he wrote Michael a letter. And in this letter, he gave Michael forgiveness for killing his son. Well, that prompted Michael to write him back. And then through a correspondence of letters and then from letters into visits, a friendship actually developed. And after Michael was released and Walter Everett showed up at his parole hearing and testified on behalf of Michael the killer of his son, that he should be released. This friendship continued to grow until a few years later as Michael was getting his life back together. He fell in love with a young lady and he goes to Walter Everett and says to Walter, would you please perform our wedding? So at the wedding, Walter Everett served Michael by preaching a message of love and forgiveness is what holds a marriage Together, Love and forgiveness is what holds any relationship together. And he united them. That should have been his enemy. And yet, he went the extra mile. The extra mile is a call to serve others, especially those you don't like. Number two, the extra mile is not simply a thing you do. It's how you live. We do not put on our calendars Thursday at 2 o'clock. That's extra mile day. Now, we can be involved in some programs and schedules. I'm not saying that. But this is an as-you-go-through-life, we are extra mile people. That's what Jesus is calling us to. That's how you live. So at the moment that you're interrupted, which is what he's saying when you go the extra mile, the moment you're interrupted, we respond differently because we live life differently. That's the call of Jesus. Extra mile is not simply a thing, but it's a life that we're called into living. It becomes our whole life. And this gets really, really difficult at times. Because it means when you're cut off in traffic, you respond differently. It means when the line is long, you respond differently. It, it means later today when your order at the restaurant is not right, we respond differently because we're extra mile people. That's who we are. It's not something we turn on and we turn off. This is what Jesus is inviting us into. The last one's this. 
going the extra mile is participating in the gospel story. Going the extra mile is participating. It's modeling. It's preaching the gospel story. What do I mean by that? Remember, Jesus is telling this all in the context of you love your enemies. You love your enemies. Now, when he says love your enemies, he does not mean have warm, fuzzy feelings to them. He means you demonstrate it. There's an action that goes here. And so you come in with the action. And you are modeling the gospel story. Because this is exactly what Jesus did for us. At the moment that you were at your rebellious self, in rebellion to a holy and perfect God. Remember how the, the passage that we read ends? Be perfect as your Father is perfect. How's that going for anybody? It's a crazy invite, isn't it? Be perfect? I mean, I, mean, I think on my best day I can come at about 83%. But be perfect? That's, that's the invitation, the command. And so at the moment that I'm at my most rebellious, my most consumed with self, my agenda, not your agenda, God. My will, not your will. My priorities, not your priorities. I'm looking out for me. This is, I'm in control. I've got this. At that moment, Jesus was willing to go to the cross. He went the extra mile and then some. If you want to write this verse down, Romans 5, 8. But God demonstrates his own love. For us in this, while we were still sinners. If you like taking notes, I'd encourage you to write a couple other words. Enemies of God. Opposed to God. While we were still in that rebellious state, that place. Not God's golden child. Not the poster boy. But while we were sinners, Christ died for us. He walked the mile carrying the cross. So every time we, in a small way, replicate that, every act of service for someone that does not deserve it, for someone that should be our enemy, but we're not going to play the game of the world, we're participating once again, and we're proclaiming the gospel story. Because this is what... Jesus did. This is why this is one of our vision five. This idea of going the extra mile. And for that, that means this. Individually and collectively as a church. And what the extra mile did for us is, it's a, yes, it's a physical mile, but it's also symbolic. And we drew, we drew a circle around the, the a one mile circle around this campus. And then we went the extra mile and rode a two-mile circle around this campus. And we saw what, what, we started praying about what would God have for us collectively in that area. And suddenly some different things started coming to light. You're going to hear about some of those in a minute. Just some awareness of some ways that we can serve a community that may or may not deserve it. And some ways that we can partner out there and be 
participating in the gospel story. And our encouragement, that's us collectively, and our encouragement for you individually is, you start thinking about your extra mile. If you look around your space, your home, your neighborhood, your workplace, your school, whatever that represents for you, what's the range around there where we go with open eyes and radars on, wondering where does God want me to serve? Because remember, it's not simply something that we do, but it's the way that we live. So what I would like to do is I'm going to invite Sego to come up, and I'm going I'm to pray for us right before he comes up. And I'm going to pray over this idea that we live this out and we proclaim this gospel story of the Jesus that died for us even while we were still opposed to God. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, I just got to say, these are some of the toughest words that Jesus speaks, in my opinion. Because I don't want to go an extra mile. I want to get even. I want to get back. So, Father, would you send your spirit, your supernatural Holy Spirit, to empower us to live this way, to turn the other cheek, to give back, and to go not one mile but two. Let us serve, Father, even when it's serving those that by all other definitions we should be opposed to and in opposition to. Because, Father, that's what Jesus did. And so it's in his name that I'm asking this prayer. Amen. As you can tell, we're passionate about this extra mile because we know the impact that you have in this community and in your community. We know the difference that's made when you go the extra mile. The way for the gospel to get out. To be known as a church that goes the extra mile. For people that go, yeah, I don't know about this church stuff. I don't know about what they talk about over there at Western Hills. But those people, they make a difference. Those people are different. And it's because of this extra mile. And we want to do a pulse check this morning. We want to find out because we know you are making an incredible difference. We hear stories from people. So we want to know what you're currently doing. What is your extra mile? Where are you serving? We've got a survey. There's a QR code there. You can pull out your smart device and scan that. If you don't get it, we'll have handouts later. Um, we want to know where you're serving. It's a simple question. Where are you going the extra mile? We may not know of some places where we could come up and partner with you so we want to know where you're doing that what it is and maybe just in your own neighborhood maybe your extra mile is you are the trash can collector and you go get the trash cans back up to the houses of everybody after trash day that's an extra mile thing we want to know where you're serving but we don't want to just ask you to do this all on your own we want to partner together we want to give you opportunities and ways to seek out uh, practicing that extra mile. Scott talked about mission trips. And that's one of the great ways with students where we uh, get to exercise some of those new muscles and go out and serve. This summer with our uh, 
mission trip for our junior high and 456 kids. We did that in town. That's why the coffee spot was serving coffee roasted at Feed My Sheep. Helping our students exercise some of these muscles of what it means to go the extra mile. As Scott was talking, it reminded me of, we just do that wherever you go. We had a mission trip decades ago, because he and I were youth ministers then, where we were on a trip to Atlanta, and we stopped at a Burger King on the way with three youth groups. And that Burger King had just been slammed, I think, by a bus trip. It was a mess. There was trash. They were running behind. They were trying to catch up. And uh, being youth ministers, we thought, we're going to have a teachable moment here. And so we started to empty the trash at a Burger King. So we're having to ask, you know, where do we find the trash bags? And they're looking at us in this weird sort of way. The students were really looking at us in a weird sort of way. But we decided we need to help them start learning to exercise these muscles. And they saw us doing that. Some of them weren't too sure. Some of them then started clearing tables because they thought, well, if Scott and Scott, and they're doing that, we've got to jump in too. And we are helping them learn by giving them opportunities to serve. So as we drew that two mile, we noticed there's a lot of places in our radius here from this campus to serve. We've just got a few of them here on the screen. These are just a few things. We sit across from Temple High School. We sit in the Temple Independent School District and they have a, a mentor program. We've got a school that's just less than a mile away from us that shares our name called Western Hills Elementary. And we said we want to partner and serve there. Mentoring is one of those opportunities. In that circle that's not really far at all, there's a food bank called uh, the Love of Christ Food Pantry that you can see as you go out to your car. Working and partnering there, serving families that have food insecurity. They're open on Wednesday nights. They're open on Thursday mornings. There's a lot of other times during the week where they need volunteers. It's not always uh, easy work but it's fulfilling work. Also within our two miles, there's a place called Hope Pregnancy. They seek out, they try to find those that are most vulnerable, that are in a time where they have a choice between having life or ending it. And they need lots of help. They need people that have hearts that go out and don't judge, but love to help people decide to choose life. They exist in our area here. They exist uh, in Colleen. But they're in our two mile. And they need volunteers. Also within that is this place called Feed My Sheep. And as Scott talked about, this is one of those places where it's really hard for some of us to serve. I get uncomfortable when I go there every time. I'll just be honest. There are people there that you do not walk around with most days. But that's the point that they want you to do is we see people and not problems. They provide food. They provide care. They're trying to expand to provide counseling, substance abuse, uh, ability to get out of those substance abuses. They need volunteers. They need people that are willing to see other people 
and be part of the answer to the problem. Those are just four places. I said, we want to know where you're serving, but these are four places that we uh, recommend, at least if you want to start exercising those muscles to go be the extra mile. There's some QR codes there if you're interested in finding links to those. Again, it'll be on the cheat sheet available in the foyer when you leave. We encourage you, we call you to find your extra mile, whether it's with one of these places or it's something else. But choose to be a Jesus follower and be different, to go that extra mile. And it's not easy, but it will have eternal impact on the kingdom. As Scott was saying, this, this is a radical countercultural thought. It was in Jesus' time. It still is in our time. But it's an incredible opportunity in our vision to have eternal impact on this community and beyond because you choose to go the extra mile.